Well, it is great to be here with you guys. My wife, Rebecca, and I were here last summer, and we loved gathering with y'all and worshiping with you. And so we were planning on coming anyways on Sunday, and so it was a joy when Keith asked me to preach. Uh, my wife's in the back. She's pregnant, and so you can pick her out pretty easily, I'm sure. <laughs> just kidding. That doesn't work here. Uh, but it's small enough where I can just look directly at her and you know who I'm talking about. As uh, Keith... Great job on the intro wherever you went back there. He did that all by memory, and so I felt like it was a little bit of a quiz as he was saying my organization's name to every tribe and things about us. Uh, Rebecca and I have just completed one year. We have one more year in our church planting training. It's called the Center for Pioneer Church Planting, and it's with To Every Tribe. And our goal is to end up in a Spanish-speaking area where there are zero healthy churches, where there are no churches preaching the gospel uh, we want to be involved in planting churches that can raise up national indigenous leaders that can lead that church and plant other churches. And so we're still in the process of working through all the details with that, uh, but we are, that's just the thing that we've been passionate about. We, uh, I served as a missions pastor for three years in College Station and we absolutely loved it. Of course, we loved being with a strong community. But there's something that's always drawn us to be in areas where there are not yet healthy churches. And so we're very grateful to receive a training on this from people who have already been there, done that, and can share from their experience. Because whenever we really start thinking about how this is going to happen, we're like, we have no idea how this is going to work unless the Lord moves. And so we would appreciate your prayers. I'd love to just follow up with anyone afterwards if anyone is interested more in what we're doing. If anyone's interested in To Every Tribe and the training that we're doing, or any other questions that you might have, uh, we'd love to share with you how you can be praying with us, praying for us, how you can be partnering with us. Um, and then if anyone is interested in missions or going themselves or knows someone, I would love to share about why I think having a robust training before you go is a valuable thing for you. This past year... We had so many different classes. It was kind of, we were in the classroom, but we were also applying what we were learning in the classroom. So we learned about uh, pioneer church planting. We learned about cross-cultural living. We learned about raising third culture kids. We learned about spiritual warfare. I did ministry and studied culture in northern Mexico. I did ministry and studied culture in southern Mexico. And so, of course, I ate a lot of good Mexican food. I don't know if y'all like Mexican food, but... You can definitely find it in Garland, I would imagine. But there's many places that call themselves Mexican food, and you're just like, ah, this is just not quite the same. And so it's good to be there. And sometimes it's an adventure in the eating process, but uh, I love Mexican food. So that's been wonderful for me and for us. And I would say I want to share with you guys the number one thing I've learned this past year. So... We've learned a million things this past year, and we've learned so much. We've been stretched in ways that we didn't even expect. This has been a, a difficult year, actually, in some respects. Uh, we feel like we've, we're changed as we come to the end of this year. But the number one thing that has really been impactful for me is recognizing, realizing, maybe even remembering the centrality of love in the life of the believer. And I want to share with you the scripture passage has been the most meaningful to me. And so if you would, you could look in your Bibles or you could just listen in with me. I want to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. It's actually on the screen behind me, so you could look right there. 
In particular, this passage is impactful to me because those of us who come to this training, many of us are preachers, many of us know the Bible well, many of us, there's many who have already planted churches. Uh, whether you like it or not, when you go as a missionary, people are just kind of like, wow, I could never do that. You're, you're a strong Christian. People say things like that. We're counting the cost saying we want to go to a hard place, so we count the cost of martyrdom. And so it's easy to think that if you know how to preach, if you know the Bible, if you're generous or willing to give your life, that must mean that you are an awesome Christian. But Paul says something very different here. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So this is for any Christian here this morning, but especially if you would consider yourself a strong believer, or a theologian, or a preacher, whoever you are, Paul is saying, If you have not love, it counts for nothing. It is meaningless to God. And the reason why this has been so impactful to me is because I wouldn't say the number one thing I've learned is how to love other people better, but it's learning how much I don't love other people. I feel like it's been a year of the Holy Spirit revealing to me that I I knew it. I know that I love my wife, and sometimes it's a challenge to love my wife. I know that I love friends, and sometimes it's a challenge to love friends. But there are certain types of people that I wanted to dismiss and not enter into a relationship with. Or there are certain types of people that I want to love on the surface, but I don't want to share my whole life with them. And God's revealing to me that it is nothing if we don't love all believers around us in this deep, vulnerable way. As you guys know, y'all are in the middle of a series on what it means to be a disciple. And so I can't think of a better message on what it means to be a disciple for myself as I consider, so what does this look like for me, is that a disciple loves other believers. And so the text where we see this most clearly in the New Testament is John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, Jesus is letting them know, to be my disciple, you love other people. It's not an option. He says, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And what we're going to learn this morning is that to be a disciple, we must love others. And to love others, we must first surrender to God's love for us. And so if you would, I want to begin by reading the sermon text in 1 John chapter 4. Do y'all normally stand for that or stay seated? or Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. First John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, 
that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God... And hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You can take your seats. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, we thank you that you do love us. More than that, we thank you that you are love. God, I pray this morning that we would understand what it means that you are love. We would be amazed at your invitation to enter into a loving relationship with you. God, I pray that we would be able to, you would give us vision, you would help us to understand our hearts so we could clearly see the ways that we don't love. And Lord, we pray that we would, as we remember your grace, as we remember your love to us, God, that we would celebrate the freeness of your love to us and that that would free us up to love others as Christ has loved us. God, be with the hearers as I preach this morning. Help them to hear your words. We know that sheep hear your voice. May your word be preached. And I ask that you would help me to preach with clarity so that people can better understand and better apply your word to their lives. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin with a question this morning. When you think about who God is, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Or if I was to ask you in a word or a few words, how would you explain God? What comes to mind? Creator, Father, Love, he's reading ahead. (laughs) In this passage, John makes it clear that God is love. God is Creator, God is Father, God is love. In verse 7, he says, let us love one another. Why? Because love is from God. In verse 8, it says, anyone who does not love does not know God. And the reason is because God is is love. Okay, now a second question. What does it mean that God is love? I would guess that in our country, 
No matter what religious background you are, every single person in our country can say, oh, I think the Bible says something that God is love. People mean different things about what does it mean that God is love. But as Christians, we should have an answer to that. What does it mean that God is love? We might wonder, who does God love? And I think easy, simple. God loves humans. God loves everybody. God loves angels. God loves created beings. But this text says that God is love. It doesn't say that God or that God be began to show love after he created. God is love is saying that this is the essence of who God is. That long before creation, God is love. And so I want to begin this morning with explaining to you what I think God is love means. And that is that before creation, for all eternity, God has existed as a loving community. God has existed as a loving community. Jesus says this in John 17, Father, you loved me before the creation of the world. I don't know if you've ever done this, but there's moments where I begin to think about eternity, and I can only think in terms of time, space, things of that sort. And so the longer you think about what was God doing before creation, the more it kind of hurts your head a little bit. Um, maybe you have a kid that asks that question, what was God doing before creation? What God was doing before creation was loving one another. And what God is love means is that who our God is, is a father loving his son and a son loving his father. Do y'all think about God in that way? A father loving his son and a son loving his father for all eternity. That's the essence of who God is. Now, you might wonder, but what about the Holy Spirit? Isn't this three-in-one, not two-in-one? And I want to ask you, why is it good news that it's not that God is just two-in-one? Why is it good news that it's not just the Father and the Son, but it's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Kindle's giving me some good lines. The Holy Spirit pours out His love upon us. Yes, But for all eternity, I said earlier that God is a loving community. If you have just two people, it's kind of like an insular love. Like in my marriage, it's it's a secluded love that we share. But when you bring a third person in, it becomes something entirely different. So instead of just the father loving the son and the son loving the father, now the father loves the son and the Holy Spirit and... He loves to see the Son and the Holy Spirit loving one another. Or you could say, the Holy Spirit loves to see the Father and the the Son delighting in one another. There's this selfless, other-centered love where you not just delight that you have a relationship with this one person, but you love these two people so much that you delight that they have a relationship with one another. For me, the best example would be a family or with parents. It's a, it's a shadow of the reality of the Trinity, but I love Rebecca. I love my daughters. But more than that, when my daughters, in those moments, it happens sometimes, in those moments when my daughters love one another and are playing well together, singing together, that makes me so happy because I don't only love each of them one-on-one, but 
I, I love both of them so much, and I love to see them loving one another. Or the times when I don't want to just have me have good relationships with my kids and me have a relationship with my wife, but when she and my kids have a, a wonderful, loving relationship, I love that. And so, so much more, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love one another, and they love to see the other members of the Trinity loving one another. So this is what it means that God is love, is that this is this big, eternal, communal love. And this is the love that our world is crying out for. If you listen to any song, watch any movie, Christian, non-Christian, it doesn't matter what it is, there is this longing in us as image bearers of God to have this type of selfless, other-centered, belonging love because we reflect the Trinity who has always belonged in community. And the beautiful thing that is even just hard to understand, hard to wrap our minds around, is that the Trinity, this loving community, has invited us to come into this loving community. And so I want to continue reading in 1 John chapter 4, and I want us to consider how we have been invited to come into this community. So look with me in your Bibles at verse 9. Verse 9 says, And this the love of God was made manifest among us. It was shown among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I'm going to drop down to verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him. We abide in this love. And He in us. Because He has given us His Spirit. So in these verses, I want us to consider the invitation of God to join this loving community. And as we would expect, it is dripping with love. God's love does not make sense. First, God initiated and invited those who did not love Him first. My brother's getting married this summer, so he... We got an invitation to his wedding a couple weeks ago. Of course, I'm his brother. I'm also officiating, but of course, I'm his brother. He's going to invite me to the wedding. And so who do you invite to a wedding? Family, friends, maybe your parents, best friends. There's kind of like this, these are the types of people you invite to the wedding. Who do you not invite to a wedding? Your enemies. I don't, we don't really use that term, that person's my enemy. We use other terms, but um, maybe there's someone that you've served, you've cared for, you've been generous to, and they have hurt you in return. We don't invite them to our weddings, but this is what God does for us. Every single one of us did not love God, and He had initiating love toward us. So this is the beginning of his invitation, but more than that, he makes this invitation accessible to us through the Son. It says that Jesus, that the Father sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, whenever you hear a long word like that, that ends in shun, you should probably define it in a sermon, propitiation for our sins. What does that mean? Propitiation is a word that's not just for the Bible, not just for Christianity. It's, it's a religious term, meaning that you do something to appease a deity. So let me give an example. When I was in southern Mexico, 
uh, we were we visited multiple different villages in the mountains. Every single village has a Catholic church. Every single person would say that they're Catholic. But deeper than their Catholicism, they're animistic, means that they worship their ancestors, they worship inanimate objects, things of that sort. And every single person there worships and fears the rain god. Every single person does. And every single person is required, basically, at certain times to go up on the mountain, to come to the community altar, and to sacrifice animals on that altar to appease the anger of the rain god. They believe that the rain god is angry with them, and if they're going to get rain this year, they need to appease his anger against them. Now, as Christians, we understand that there is one god. We understand that the rain god in southern Mexico is not a real god who reigns. We understand that their sacrifices are trying to appease a deity, but he is not a deity. But that's what that term means. And so as Christians, the way we understand this is that God has created all of us. He has invited all of us to have a relationship with him. He has created us to worship him. And in return, we have exalted ourselves rather than exalting God. We have lived for ourselves rather than living for God. We have all committed sin against a holy, eternal God. Therefore, God is a holy, eternal God. And he is angry against our sins. God is angry against sin. He cannot tolerate because he is pure and holy. And so what it means that Jesus stepped in as the propitiation is that if I was standing here in line waiting to receive God's wrath against my sin, which is an eternal judgment for the sins I've committed against him, Jesus not only stepped in my place, But Paul writes in another place in the New Testament that Jesus became my sin on the cross so that on the cross God could pour out all of his anger against my sin so that now that as I stand in Christ, now that as I trust in Christ, when I stand before God, there's no anger left. There's no judgment left. There's only forgiveness, acceptance, adoption, love, mercy, I receive everything about God except for his anger because Jesus stepped in as the propitiation. But God does more than that in this invitation. So he makes it accessible to us. And then when we become believers, he sends the Holy Spirit so that we would abide in his love. I don't know about you, but I can sense in my heart, I'm so quick to want to begin abiding in the world. I'm so quick to not want to abide in God's love. But the promise of the Holy Spirit is that He will not let us go. That even when we go through these seasons of not in any way abiding in love, if we are in Christ, then the Holy Spirit will ensure that we persevere and that we abide in God. So think about this powerful love He initiates with His enemies. He makes it possible through Christ. And the Holy Spirit makes it so that we will end up in heaven, that we won't be able to mess up this salvation. So the question for us is, how do we respond to this love? How do we respond to this invitation? John gives us a a summary of how we should respond in verses 13 through 16. So look in your Bibles again in verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. 
and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. It's almost like a riddle, and so I'm going to break this down for us. First, it talks about that we, that we know, believe, and see the love that God has for us. To be a Christian means that God first is this merciful, loving, saving God, and that we see who God is and what He's done for us. Secondly, we confess Jesus as the Son of God. God, you are amazing. I receive Jesus as the, I confess Jesus as the Son of God. So what does it mean to confess Jesus as the Son of God? Does it mean that you say the sinner's prayer? That's a confession. Does it mean that you say the words, Jesus is the Son of God? It means that you say that and that you mean it. It means that your life lines up with that confession. I was listening to Keith's sermon, the first sermon of the series, and he said that there's a difference between a fan of Jesus and a follower of Jesus. A fan of Jesus would be one who, they live in a Christian community, they've confessed Jesus as the Son of God, their life does not reflect that confession. A follower of Jesus makes that confession, and they almost don't need to make that confession because you just watch their life, you know that they are a follower of Christ. You know that they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. After we confess, we receive His Spirit. The Spirit enables us to abide. Abiding in the Spirit or abiding in God means that we abide in love because God is love. So this is where we're following the progression. We abide in God, therefore we abide in love. Abiding in love means that God's love flows through us to others. John leaves no room to say that I abide in God's love, but I don't love other people. Which is really good to remember when there's someone that is very hard for you to love. John leaves no room for us to say, I receive God's love and I love most people, but I don't love everyone. Because love is this conscious, willing choice to serve this other person in spite of the ways that they've treated you. I recently heard, it was actually at someone's, it was a Christian bachelor party, and so we got to pray over him, we got to talk about the word. Uh, those are always refreshing times. They look a little bit different than other bachelor parties. And uh, there was a man there who had been a pastor for 30, 40 years, and he said, we like because of, we love in spite of. And that was helpful for me, because in marriage, there's times where you really like your spouse, but there's other times where you don't really like your spouse, but you are called to love them. And it's the same with any Christian in the church. Hopefully, y'all like each other, but there are times where you won't like each other. And what it means to love is that you love in spite of that weird personality or because of the way you hurt them or whatever that might be. Because God is love, we will become more loving to those around us. So now I want to get to what I think is the hardest part of the sermon for me maybe for some of you, and that is the question, what keeps us from joining and abiding in this loving community? What keeps us from abiding in love and letting God's love flow from us to others? 
And I want this to be very personal for you in your mind and your heart. And so I want every single one of you to think right now, who is someone in my life that is hard to love? If you're like me, it's kind of like the names just start popping up. There's lots of them. But I want you to at least have one name in your, in your mind. And I, I really want you to wrestle through the rest of this sermon with that person in mind. Who is someone that is hard for you to love? Let's consider John's words starting in verse 17. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Did you follow John's logic here? It's pretty surprising to me. The reason why people don't abide in love is primarily due to fear. That's what John's saying here. A lot of times when I don't love someone, I feel like it's primarily due because I don't like them, because of anger, because of something of that sort. John says it's primarily due to fear. On a positive sense, then, perfect love casts out fear. But I want us to think about the opposite of that. Fear casts out love. Let me give a few characteristics of this type of fear that John gives here. First, this fear is... It's an unstable fear. It's not stable on the gospel. It talks about someone lacking confidence on the day of judgment. It's someone who, when they mess up, they're not sure if God loves them. They're not sure if God still forgives them. So it's an unstable fear. It's an anxious fear. It talks about someone being afraid of the punishment that is to come. Anxiety is fear, and it's worried about what's to come. And so in this context, he talks about someone worried about the punishment to come from God. But I would say any kind of anxious fear hinders love. And he talks about insecurity or an insecure love. Still trying to be loved by God, rather than believing that long before I loved God, God already loved me. Jesus already paid for my sins. That's standing secure in Christ. Insecure says, I need to keep doing a good job for Jesus to love me. And then it keeps going further. I need to do a good job so other people will approve of me as well. So, instability, anxiety, insecurity. In the absence of sin, and we are free to love others. We don't have any fear. We have no guilt to atone for. We have no shame to cover up, and we have no evil thing at all to fear. But when sin entered into the world, our new posture became one of hiding, covering up, blame shifting. We see all of us have experienced this, and we read this in the Bible, Genesis 3, when sin entered the world. What did they do? They covered up their nakedness, they hid in the bushes. They started blaming one another. They were hiding from God. That fear immediately hindered their love toward God and toward other people. And we respond to God in the same way. I would say that fear expressed through instability, anxiety, and insecurity ruins authentic relationships. 
That word's important to me. Authentic relationships. Because you can keep the peace on a surface level with most people. There's some people you can't. But most people you can. But if you're going to have a real, deep, vulnerable, trusting relationship, fear will ruin that. This past year, as I've been wrestling through this, as the Holy Spirit has revealed to me how unloving I am, basically, my number one prayer all year long has been, God, help me to love more people and help me to love people more. Love more people is recognizing there are certain types of people that I'm not inclined to like, therefore I'm not inclined to love. But also loving people more, we need to think about not only do we love people here, but because we're able to have perfect love cast out that fear, rest in Christ's work on our behalf, we're able to love people in a deep way. This is my marriage, my friends, my parents, my church, whoever it might be, that I would love them deeper and more. I don't know if any of you are in a place like me, and I know that this is maybe bringing this up, and so this is just fresh on your mind, but this past year, there have been so many times where I've just felt burdened by how unloving I am. Uh, Rebecca can tell you that there have been evenings where she has counseled me, prayed for me, and encouraged me late at night, or early in the morning, or after the girls go down, whatever it might be, because not only has it been hard for me to love people, but I've also been so burdened by, if this is what it means to be a Christian, then why can't I love people? Why can't I love this person? And for me, in this past year, there was at least one particular situation, but just even recognizing it's not just this one situation. I struggle to love people. If you feel those same things that I feel or thinking those same thoughts, I want to remind you what I keep reminding myself is that when we come to realize the depth of our sinfulness, we have to understand the gospel and that His grace is deeper still. And what's been meaningful for me to meditate on is the definition of grace. The definition of grace is you get from God what you don't deserve. And so what has been meaningful to me this past year is saying, man, I am an unloving person. That is central to the life of a Christian. I don't deserve God's love, forgiveness, any of that at all. Just kind of realizing how sinful I am and saying, and that's why I trust in grace. Because in the, in the moment where we are totally blowing it, in the, or in the season where we are completely walking in, not, in, not walking in love, understanding that right now God accepts me. Because of His grace, not because of our performance. Because of Jesus coming in as that propitiation. And it's important that you get that right now. Because I want us to consider some characteristics of Jesus' love. And if you're still operating on, how can I complete the law? You're going to be crushed when you think about Jesus' example and how we're called to follow it. Because none of us do. We will be crushed if we try to follow the law. But for those of us who can by grace say, man, I fail in this. But by the Spirit's help, I want to walk in love. I want to give us a picture of what it actually looks like to walk in love. Because what we're inclined to believe is loving might be different than what the New Testament says. And so we're going to go through three 
passages in the New Testament, all of them are use Jesus as the example. And in every single one of them, the New Testament author said, he's not just giving Jesus as an example. He's saying you should walk in this example, which is important. There's some ways that Jesus lived on earth that it doesn't say you should live like that. You should be the savior of the world. But in all three of these, it says walk like this, think like this. So the first one is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. I think we'll have this on the screen behind me. Paul writes this to the Philippians. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself and emptied himself. He laid aside his status. He laid aside his rights. He laid aside his comforts. He laid aside being accepted by others. He laid aside uh, insulating himself from sinners. He came as our servant. So here's the question. You still have that person in mind. What would it look like for me to empty myself and humble myself and come to that person as their servant? Because Paul says that's what it looks like to follow Christ. Whoever that person is that's hardest for you to love, that you come to them as a servant. Second passage in Romans chapter 15. Paul's writing to the Roman church this time. He says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Keep that word in your mind. Thinking about that person that's hard to love. With such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with that person, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Here's what I love about this passage. Love, or this is really difficult for me, is he says, those who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Paul is not saying the ones that are strong are pastors, apostles, missionaries. Those who are strong are normal believers. That's the context. Normal believers have an obligation to bear with the failings, that's plural, to bear with the failings of the weak. To have it as our goal to have harmony with them and with one voice to praise God. And he says, just as Christ has welcomed you, you didn't deserve it, but he welcomed you as a brother. So you welcome that person as a brother or sister, whoever that believer is. And then I have a third passage I want us to consider. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. I know I'm running through these fast, but I'm hoping that there might be something in one of these passages that really strikes true for you with whoever this person is. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example 
so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. If you are ruled by fear, then you must retaliate when you're criticized. You will retaliate when you're criticized. Here's some ways that you retaliate. You criticize inwardly by being bitter. You criticize indirectly through gossip. Or you criticize directly. There's two paths you can take. There's the criticize directly through passive comments. There's criticize directly through an outburst, whatever it might be. Bitterness, gossip, passive comments, an outburst. If you are ruled by fear, you will do one of those things. We don't have to do one of those things. If we're ruled by love and receiving God's love, we, and we are walking in that, then that's when we have the power to not respond in that way. But fear forces us to do this because we're insecure or we're anxious or we're not standing stable on the gospel. But I want us to consider Jesus, our King, who had no sin. When I'm in a conflict with someone and they're mostly at fault and I'm a little bit at fault, I don't want to humble myself. I want to dig in my heels and wait till they apologize and make it right and, you know, whatever it might be. But Jesus had no sin in the matter. But he entrusted himself to God and he loved his enemies, us. And he not only loved us by word, but he laid down his life for us. He came in as a servant. He emptied himself. And in the same way, when we are walking by love rather than fear, this is what love is going to look like with all types of people in our life. We have an amazing God. And so this morning we considered our creator God is this eternal communal God. In a way that doesn't even make sense to us, he has invited us lovingly into this community. And then when we are attached to this community, when we abide in this community, we begin to love others as he is loving. However, all of us still wrestle with fear in different ways. And so all of us still are going to fail to love other people, but his grace is deeper. But what I want us to really grasp is that to be a disciple is to love others. And to love others, we must first surrender to God's love for us. As I finish up and as I pray for all of us, you can listen to my prayer and pray along with me, or if the Spirit's moving in your heart for you to respond to God in another way, just pray your prayer. I want you to be asking the question, how is the Holy Spirit at work in my heart this morning? Revealing fears that I have or insecurities that I have, revealing to me people that I'm not loving. How is the Holy Spirit at work in my heart this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, from all eternity, you have been a father. You're not just our father. You're, Jesus says that you are his father for all eternity, loving him. And you're, that type of God is who loves us. We learn elsewhere that you have adopted us 
And now just as much as you have loved Jesus from all eternity, you love us that much. Thank you, God. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of this community. Lord, we confess each of us has specific ways that might come to mind. We confess ways that we have been insecure or anxious and that or unstable, and that's cut off our ability to love and trust you, to receive your love, and that's cut off our ability to love others. Would you forgive us for that? And Lord, we want to obey you, not to gain your approval. We already have that in Christ, but we love you. And so we want to walk in love. We want to abide in love. And Lord, so for me and maybe many others this morning, it's with desperation that we say, we have tried and we cannot love these types of people. I have tried and this person I still can't forgive. But Lord, I pray by the Spirit's help that as we abide in you, you would empower us to walk in love with all people in our life, that we would be your disciples in this way. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, it's been a a joy to be here this morning. Uh, I mean, we were here a year ago, but it's not like you can really build a relationship just being here for a year. And so many of you are still very new to us. We would love to get to know you better just as believers, just as brothers and sisters. If you have any questions about Two Every Tribe or our ministry, we'd love to talk to you about that. If you have any questions about what it would look like to get our updates, to be able to pray for us or partner with us in any way, we'd love to talk to you about that. So we'll be available after the service.